it's almost like the pain of those women, me not communicating with my mom, and me、um, actually being a terrible husband to my wife, and me not paying attention to my children.、Uh, its pain was the sound that wisdom was making, and and it was an invitation to self-awareness. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Otherwise Podcast. Ah,、oh, yes. My name is Casey Tigret. I am pastor and an author and spiritual director, and apparently now podcaster.、Um, I'm really <laughs> excited about this interview. It's my first interview that I'm sharing with you all, and I could not have picked—I at least I don't think so—I could not have picked a better person to start with. My guest today is a guy named Carlos Rodriguez. And some of you may know him by the name Happy Sonship.、Uh, Carlos is a fantastic,、uh, compelling, energetic guy、uh, from Puerto Rico, and he, as I mentioned about Happy Sonship, that's the non-for-profit that he runs. They do a lot of work, I believe, in Peru and also in Puerto Rico as well. I'm trying to say that right. After doing the whole interview, he he says it so well at Puerto Rico. I can't I can't do that. And I feel like the voice has to go down a little bit too, like Puerto Rico, you know.、Uh, but he is—he's a really compelling、uh, guy who does a lot of, of great work. He's written two books. One is called Simply Sonship, and the other is called Drop the Stones. That's the most recent one. I'm going to include links for those、uh, in the、uh, bio, in the intro stuff, in the show notes. Um, one thing you need to know about this conversation, and one thing you need to know about the interviews that you're going to find on the Otherwise podcast,、uh, I am going to include some things that you may not agree with, some people you may not agree with,、uh, because one of the things that's killing us as human beings and as a society, and especially people of faith, what's killing us right now is our inability to talk to people with whom we disagree. And so Carlos, at the very beginning, gets into that, and he just talks about how what makes us family is that we can disagree and we can continue to be family. And so his conversation will be really helpful. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like,、eh, "I'm going to tune it out," or if you're thinking, "Ooh, I want to hear the thing he thinks I'll disagree with."、Um, Don't, <laughs> don't, because that's going to ruin the rest of the episode for you. So,、uh, sit back, relax, enjoy the sultry Puerto Rican tones of my good friend and happy sonship leader, Carlos Rodriguez. Carlos, good morning. Well, it's you know it's almost afternoon here where you are. It's morning where I am. How's it going could, today, man? Could be the evening, whoever's listening. But yeah, good whatever to everybody out there. I'm doing really good, brother. Thank you for having me. Well,、uh, you can anybody listening can kind of hear Carlos has a has a flow that that says he does this kind of thing too.、He、has a podcast that he does that is incredibly interesting. Uh, through his website, and and、uh, that's why I think this is going to be a great conversation, mostly because I, as I'm looking at your stuff, the one thing I find that's really consistent, a big part of who you are, is、mm. humor.、Um, <laughs> you just you have a lightness about you, man. <laughs> We have to, bro. Like we're living in heavy days. <laughs> 
And that's uh, that's interesting because even the cover of your book, Simply Sonship, is yeah. you. It looks like you're spiking the title. Yeah. <laughs> so the photographer asked me to just pretend like I was playing with my kids, uh, and that's what came out. So I don't. I'm not intentionally punching them in the head, but we wrestle a lot. So that's why it looks like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, uh, my our conversation, man, always, I, I like to start at the same place with everybody. Just it kind of gives okay. us a, a place to begin, which is uh, how would you, if you were asked, begin to define the, this concept of wisdom, um, okay. whether it's something that's come out of your life or experience or where would you start with that? Uh, wisdom. Wisdom is my mom. Wisdom is my wife, my five sisters, my daughter. Wisdom is, I mean, Bible talks about wisdom as a female, doesn't it? Like a woman, like an actual woman. So if I, if I get very literal and I like, if I listen to my mom and my wife and my sisters and my daughter, I think my life would be really amazing. If I just focus on their words and their direction. Um, yeah, I mean... Wisdom for, for life, for business, for ministry, whatever, it, it comes out of experience. And maybe wisdom is identified as a woman because women are intentional about, and obviously I'm generalizing, so forgive me for the women that are not like this, but at least the women in my life, um, all very strong. So my mom's Puerto Rican, my wife is British, my daughter's Ethiopian. So those are the three most important women in my life from literally three different nations and and yet they they all in their different life stages of course my daughter being so young and my wife in her 30s and my mom in her 60s they they speak into my life based on their experience they're just intuitive um they they listen with their heart they listen um with the soul they listen with the inside where i'm sometimes a bit too caught up in the mind and sometimes we think wisdom has to do with intelligence where it's actually i feel it has to do more with the heart and with actually learning from the experience that you're having and anticipating the experience that are coming and being willing to just walk it out. So I think that's, I love that because the idea of people, wisdom taking on a person mm-hmm. and the, the scriptures doing that, that wisdom is not just this floating disembodied thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's got skin and bones and sinew and flesh and, um, and it's the people, I love the For idea sure. that it's the people in our life because <clears throat> who better to tell you how you're actually living than the people around you. <laughs> there's a thing, there's, I think this is my, probably my favorite sitcom ever is The Office. Um, specifically the first seasons when it had Michael Scott. And why I love Michael Scott so much and hate him so much at the same time is his lack of self-awareness. And I, 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 if, I, if I look at my own life, if I look through social media, um, my friends, my neighbors, and sometimes my enemies. I think most of our issues come from a lack of self-awareness of actually realizing what we're doing. Um, I have a good friend called Carl Medaris, and he likes to say, it's not what you say, it's what people mm. hear you say. Um, and, and that self-awareness, we're trying so hard to be heard, um, but we're not aware of what actually people are hearing yeah. us saying. Um, so wisdom for me, going back to that, my mom, my wife, and my daughter bring so much self-awareness. Like they force me to confront, actually, when you say this, when you do that, when you behave this way, when you go, that's, you know, they make me aware of my actions. My, And I think the church has been acting a little bit too much like Michael Scott. World's greatest <laughs> boss. I'm amazing. And we're such a happy, good family working together in Scranton. 
And everybody in the office was like, doesn't he realize that this job sucks and he's a terrible employer? So yeah. self-awareness. So you come good. to self-awareness and we were talking earlier about some choices, you know, making choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a pastor, you're a communicator, you're, you have all mm-hmm. kinds of things that you do. And yet it seemed mm-hmm. like a moment of wisdom came where you had to to kind of make a decision of wh- what path uh, is going to be the path of living well with Jesus at this season in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did they play? How did your, you know, your mom and your wife and your kids, how did they play into your yeah. current life choices, man? <laughs> 100 million percent. Uh, I mean, this plays so well. Thank you for that question, because it's almost like the pain of those women, me not communicating with my mom and me, um, actually being a terrible husband to my wife Mm -hmm. and me not paying attention to my children, uh, it's pain was the sound that wisdom was making. And, and it was an invitation to self-awareness. Ministries going skyrocketing up and family life and relationships are collapsing. And I was, I had these blinders on where it's like, I'm traveling, I'm doing book signings, I'm preaching to big crowds. I'm leading this awesome church. And yet I'm completely unaware. I mean, I wanted to be unaware because I wanted the traveling and the book sales to keep going up. So I'm intentionally and unintentionally at the same time unaware of how bad my relationships are. So it was my wife. There she is, wisdom, who said, no, this is not good. This is actually really bad. And we're not going to make it through. And I'm feeling this, that, and the other. And it was through her confession, through her honesty, and honestly through her leadership that I was able to then become self-aware. I mean, it took a few months, almost a year, but I got there. (laughs) And we went through marriage counseling. I stopped being the lead pastor of the church that we had planted with friends. And I've I've, I've been on a journey since of staying self-aware. Yeah. And obviously, wisdom you wisdom is an experience you have, but you also bring a lot of who we are and who you are into each situation. So sure. growing up in Puerto Rico and having that heritage as part of your background, mm-hmm. how does that how how does that play into this current journey of faith that you're on? Yeah, that's good. So I don't come from a Christian background per se. You know, I I love it when my friends say you know, fourth generation pastor or whatever like that. I mean, I don't have any of that. There was brokenness. There was alcoholism, adultery, um, a lot of poverty. And yeah, I I was born and raised in a, in a lovely home. It's so bizarre because the one thing that we always had, both of my parents are in their second marriage. So I'm the firstborn of their second marriage. And I have sisters from my mom's first marriage, my dad's first marriage. And yet I was never allowed to call them half sisters we, we were intentional about being together in the midst of like literal abuse and loudness and arguments. We were forced in a way we always come back to each other and we always do family. So in a really bizarre kind of bipolar way, in the midst of the brokenness, there was also so much unity and love and intentionality about we're going to make it through together. And my parents got separated, uh, but but eventually, a year later, they got back together. Still to this day, have an incredible marriage. They overcame so many difficulties, both in their personal lives. And, and they just kind of set a precedent of, um, like, it's possible. Hope is real. Um, families can be restored. And, of course, there are situations where 
like my mom did. She had to run away from abuse and she did. She did the right thing. She stood up for herself, for her children. She made those incredible choices. And yet a year later, when she saw legitimate um, restoration in my father, she gave him an opportunity. And now again, they have not a perfect marriage, but my goodness, I mean, it's a, they are a legitimate example. So being born and raised in Puerto Rico, not in a Christian background, in a home that was filled with you know, brokenness and abuse, and yet at the same time, so much love and so much willingness to grow together and to heal together. Um, that, you know, that that kind of gave me hope when I was collapsing. I mean, I wasn't sleeping around with other women, but I was being unfaithful to my wife with the bride of Christ in that sense. Mm. I wasn't I wasn't wow. being abusive like my dad was being abusive, but in a, in a, in a way, I, I had the, I almost had the, I can be abusive, so watch out. You know, I can create an atmosphere I could create an atmosphere in my house with enough kind of like anger in, in the air that you never know what could happen. And my wife was sensing that, obviously. I'm thinking, compared to my dad, I'm a saint. You have no idea. You married the most incredible husband. But to her experience, I was being terrible. I was being overly angry. Uh, you know, I wasn't honoring her. I wasn't giving enough time to my children. So the brokenness that ended up in restoration gave me hope that in my brokenness, I could also be restored. Yeah. That concept of unfaithfulness Mm -hmm. to your wife with the bride of Christ Mm -hmm. is so powerful because a lot of my work as a spiritual director, I'm dealing with people who are in stages, various stages of burnout. Mm -hmm. And what they have done is given, and, and we've taught, somehow it's been implicitly taught or whatever, that this is, it is better to burn out for the kingdom mm. than it is to be healthy mm-hmm. in every aspect of your life, including that one. Yeah. And so what I find fascinating about that for you is I can almost see from the work that you're doing now, whether it's uh, with relief in Puerto Rico, which I want to talk about in a second, sure. but also you've, you've worked a lot at the intersection of race, politics, and faith. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of commentary. There's a lot of writing. There's a lot of understanding. And, sure. you know, we're talking on the day, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you see this whole idea of restoration mm-hmm. that you've seen in your family, but also the, the sort of allegiances that the Bride of Christ has made in this conversation about politics, race, and faith? How do all those things sort of come together for you? Yeah. Well, that's another thing that I, I did learn from my family is that we can confront each other and still be family. Actually, we can have a season of separation, as my parents did, and still be family. Actually, we can go through like the mud and still be family. And that's my, <clears throat> that's my I don't know, invitation is the right word. That's my suggestion <laughs> to the Bride of Christ right now that let's actually tackle this stuff because... Healthy families should be able to address the, the really painful, the really disgusting, the really hypocritical things amongst them, and yet still be family. And, and maybe if we're not able to do that, that's a sign that we're actually not functional, but dysfunctional. And I don't know who came with this quote. I know it wasn't me. I've heard it many times, but it says healthy things grow. So if the church is not grown, it's because we're not healthy. And that health is obviously manifested in the fact that we can't have confrontation, that we can actually say, hey, white Christians, here are some African-Americans that are struggling in this area. Let's have the conversation. Let's not just say, 
hey, let's have unity and let's pray together. That's good. Let's do that after we have confrontation, after mm-hmm. we actually tackle the things, after we actually tackle the thing that created a scenario where Martin Luther King was assassinated and we're still having you know, young African-American men being assassinated. That doesn't mean that we hate this side or we hate the other. It means that we love one another enough to have those really difficult conversations. And so, you know, I wrote this book, Drop the Stones, which people assume then that what I'm preaching is only like, don't judge anybody, just be nice, be kind. No, what I'm actually saying is, let's take away that desire to be judgmental in order to properly have the difficult conversations we need to be having. Let's take away the, you know, that kind of like, ah, that, I don't know, if people could see me now, it's like, you know, <laughs> that shaky on the inside that we have to tell everybody that we're right and they're wrong. Let's take away that. Let's put that out of the equation in Christ yeah. Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So in, in order that we can definitely judge what's right or wrong appropriately. Yeah. In order that we can definitely have those conversations that those difficult conversations that we definitely need to have. So confrontation but a confrontation that leads to love and obviously a healthy family. It seems like too, there's a, there's a piece of wisdom that's missing. And I have to just confess this as a white middle-class dude. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a heat that doesn't apply when you're in Mm. the position of privilege. So as I, as I think about King and as I think about some of the issues he was moving through, they weren't simply about race. Um, to mm, say that no he was doubt. just a racial revolutionary is a, is a complete miss. It was race, mm. it's politics, it's faith, it's economics, yeah. it's so multifaceted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I would love to hear your perspective on this. I feel like in a position of privilege, you have the, you have the choice to compartmentalize all that stuff. And so sure. I hear in the church a lot, you know, don't talk, don't, get, don't make it political, um, mm-hmm. As if Jesus, you know, stayed out of politics himself, that sort of thing. <laughs> how, how do you help with that? Because I know one of your quotes in Drop the Stones, as you say, to fix the problem of the church being too judgmental towards the world, we cannot become too mm-hmm. judgmental towards the church. And mm-hmm. I love that because mm-hmm. I, th- I think what you're grasping at is there's a wisdom that cuts between those two. Yeah, for sure. And I get it. Like writing a book, <laughs> you write it and it's fixed. Like it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's stuck in time. So now we're sitting here, we'll not only with the ongoing narrative about race, but we're also sitting mm-hmm. here, uh, with the church facing some very significant high profile sexual harassment, mm-hmm. uh, abuse, right. cover up kind of things. How do we do what I think King was trying to do, which was cut through the compartmentalization and help That's people good. like me who have lived in privilege for most of their life see that you can't yeah. draw fine lines between all these things. How would you guide somebody through that? Yeah, I think it starts with, and I try to do this in my book as best as possible. It starts with repentance and repentance in the sense of, and I've been challenged by God so many times. Every time I'm writing about something, every time I'm trying to challenge something in the church as a whole, or maybe in the church in America, or maybe my local church, it's always been first address it in yourself, right? First, it's, the, it's as simple as that. You know, it's the, if you're pointing the finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Um, first address it in yourself. Deal with the log in your own eye. Because Jesus said, and then you can help your brother with the speck on his eye. So there is an element. Sometimes when we talk about not judging people or not calling stuff out, 
It's like, let's not touch it. No, 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 no. Actually, deal with yours first so that then you can help your brother with his. So I'm having to acknowledge that different to your privilege as a white man. I have, even though I'm a minority, I'm a Latino, I'm a Puerto Rican being treated in a way as a second-class citizen because of everything that's happened with the hurricane in Puerto Rico. I also have some privilege as a man. I have privileges that a a transgender African-American woman doesn't have. Yeah. Right? So we always have to acknowledge that there are elements in our own lives that need to be addressed, that need to be confronted, privileges that need to be challenged, um, ideals that marginalize other people, that we hold on so much to them. And calling that out in ourselves and being able to challenge that in us then gives us the authority, the permission, and even the grace to be able to do it to somebody else, to be able to challenge it in somebody else. So I try my best to always address the issues, whatever they are, whether um, patriarchy or racism, whatever all these issues are, I try first to address it in me. And how can this be challenging me? And I try to do that as much as possible in the book. Um, If I'm trying to challenge the whole idea of the prosperity gospel, and I'm trying to challenge a, a, a preacher having a massive new plane for $60 million, and I, I think that's ridiculous. But I, I've also been in one of the poorest nations in the world, the Republic of Niger, just north of Nigeria. And I've been in one of the poor, with one of the poorest tribes in the world, the Fulani people. And to them, my iPad is ridiculous. The fact that I need an iPad to preach my sermon is actually ridiculous, yeah. right? So if I want to challenge the people that I'm looking ahead, I need to deal with my own, right? Um, according to, you know, people's perspective. So... there's an opportunity to challenge, to question, to address, um, and to doubt, and to to take the speck out of our brother's side, but it's got to start with the log in our own, and that's what I try to do. So I heard an anecdote, and I would love to hear you on this, because someone had, someone who was close to Dr. King, the week he came to Memphis, I believe, to talk about the Mm -hmm. sanitation workers' strike, said that on the way to the airport, he said, I just don't know if our country is ripe for what we are trying to do. Mm. And I'm wondering from your seat, from your viewpoint, Mm. do you feel like we've moved closer as a nation as a people, as and especially as a church, do you feel like we've moved closer mm. to a place where we're ripe for the kind of things where privilege gets addressed and we can address the stuff in ourselves and then also have these very constructive conversations about not only race, but gender, politics, yeah. privilege, yeah. that sort of thing? Yeah. I, I, yes, it's almost like we are and we're not. It's like the kingdom. It's here and it's yeah. coming. And, and there is that tension that we have to learn how to manage of the gratitude of how far we've come and the dissatisfaction that we're not there yet. Yeah. The, the saying, thank you, Jesus, for what we've accomplished. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm actually here with you having this conversation, that we're actually being able to verbalize the frustration that we're not there yet means we've gotten really yeah. far, right? And yet it's not far enough. For somebody like Stefan Clark in Sacramento, it obviously wasn't far mm-hmm. enough. Um, for what's happening um, all over the United States with DACA, it's obviously not enough. But we've but we've had some conversations. We've had some progress. No doubt about it. We're moving in the right direction. Um, I, I, I don't want to say there is no way to say it's enough because there are people really struggling. I do lots of prison ministry. Um, I'm there almost on a weekly basis. I do workshops. And, and, and most of the guys that are sitting there with me are African-American and Latino. 
I know it's not enough that our prison system, it's like one out of one out of every 14 white men end up in prison and one out of every four black men in prison. There's no way to say we've gone far enough when those stats are real, when that's happening. Um, so, so yes, there's, we have to have an element of gratitude of what we've accomplished and celebrating the legacy of somebody like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, we always have to remember that, like you said, he was so unpopular at the time of his death he was radically unpopular. And it wasn't the race stuff that was unpopular. It was his challenge of the Vietnam War. And it was his challenge of, okay, you're, we're good with the race stuff. You've accomplished so much. But but don't compare like the Vietnamese to like a black American because they're not as important, right? So he was constantly moving ahead uh, with such a kingdom mindset. It's incredible. To me as a preacher, he's probably one of the most inspiring people because he was able to do so much with his preaching, with capturing the imagination of what Jesus came to do, translating that into the context of America in the 60s, and then releasing a wave of justice that was just, you know, unimaginable up to that time. And now we need a new unimaginable wave. There's no doubt yeah. about it. So is there, a th- is there a move in theology, in our theology or our mm-hmm. formation as individual Christians? So let's take it from the corporate, because I think sometimes it's sure. easy to say, well, it's, you know, it's the man. And that's sure. that big thing that can't, I can't change that from my little seat here in Illinois, mm. moving it down mm. into our own personal theologies and formation. <clears throat> is there a step you encourage people to take as we talk about this intersection of race, faith, politics, gender, everything that's transforming in the culture of the church right now? What, what do you, what do you move yeah. people toward when you have that discussion? It's a great question. Two things. Number one is Proximity. I believe in proximity with all my heart. I can preach a hundred sermons about why people should care about prisoners. Jesus said, visit the prisoner, read Matthew 25. Like if you visit the prisoner, you visit him. If you don't visit the prisoner, that means you're ignoring Jesus. I mean, I could preach those sermons a hundred times and it's good that we're preaching that, but it's not until me, the preacher actually goes to prison and actually takes those people that don't know of the experience of what it is to be in prison. Or, or, or the disparity of races inside of prison. It's not until they see that. It's not until they hear and learn the name, right, yeah. of Pedro and Jonathan and whoever it is, those guys that are in there, or, or even a woman's prison of Mary and, and, and whoever that are there in prison. Knowing proximity brings transformation. I'm actually working on my next book, probably will be titled Proximity, How Coming Closer Will Take Us Forward. Mm because I, I believe that with all my heart, I've seen way more fruit. When I've actually taken people with me to Puerto Rico, people from all spectrums, conservative, liberal, involved, non-involved, once they're there, once they're out there helping people, once they're gone to the mountains and they see the need six months after the hurricane, there's no way that a preaching, a sermon, a Facebook post, a Twitter can, can transform somebody's perspective, like being in proximity. That's number one. And then number two, it's literally impossible to take every justice issue and make it our own. So who are the people more adequate than me to speak in this situation that I can empower them? And sometimes the, the smallest of simplest empowerment means they share something and I retweet it, as opposed to me trying to come up with a clever thing about that one thing. And empower the people that's, who are involved, who are connected. How can I empower them with money? How can I empower them with visibility? How can I empower them with prayer? How can I empower them with actually me then entering into proximity with them who are there doing X, Y, or Z? 
So definitely getting involved in terms of proximity and the things that you care about, but you literally don't have the time, the energy, or even the wisdom to get into. How can you empower the people that are actually doing the good stuff yeah. there? Well, proximity is a huge part of, of your life, uh, which is very mm-hmm. clear from two things. One is just the continued uh, conversation that no one is having about what is actually mm. still going on in Puerto Rico now, you know, yeah. months Brutal. after Maria. Yeah. Um, what, what do people need to know that they don't know? Because yeah. you've, you've been there recently. Uh, what, what's going mm-hmm. on that people aren't hearing about? Yeah, so I, I want to start by saying that Puerto Rico, obviously being an American territory, is not getting enough attention, but at least is getting more attention than some of the smaller islands around the Caribbean. So as I draw attention to Puerto Rico, I, I, I hope that people, as they're listening, they know I'm talking more than just Puerto Rico. All around the Caribbean, uh, multiple hurricanes went through um, this past season. And it's crazy to think that in three months we enter a new hurricane season. Um, I've been there eight times since the hurricane, since Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. I went there both because I'm a Puerto Rican and I love my people. And number two, because I, 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 I was inviting the church to have a response that the government really wasn't having. And I, I thought it was true that we weren't doing a good enough job, but after six months, I know for a fact we're not doing a good enough job. And I know that as a fact because I've been to communities that still don't have water, that still don't have electricity. Um, I have some good friends in Puerto Rico, social workers who are helping me identify, like we're looking for the most, you know, the most painful, vulnerable communities. And mothers who have children with special needs who still don't have water and electricity elderly couples that live in one side of the island and their whole family maybe their kids are living in the states or they're living in another country elderly couples that just can't take care of those single moms with multiple children who just don't have you know access to x y or z and it's just it's it's never ending it seems like there's just case after case story after story trauma after trauma um there's two things about the hurricane that a result of the hurricane, a consequence of the hurricane coming that are extremely negative outside of what the storm did is the suicide rate is up like a ridiculous amount because of the lack of hope, because the lack of attention means there's less help coming, means nothing's ever going to get solved, means I'm done, which is just so painful. Um, And number two, that lack of hope, obviously, for those people who are parents, small business owners, I mean, it was a tragic thing. This hurricane, just imagine being in, you know, owning your shop, having your house, um, and in 12 hours, losing your mechanic shop and losing half of your house and a cousin dead from the hurricane. You know, it's just the trauma is overwhelming. And obviously there's pockets on the island, especially in the metro area. If you go now, you're like, oh, yeah, I can tell there was a hurricane here, but everything seems to be going well. But, you know, you go 20 minutes out of San Juan, and it's just story after story, community after community. The need is so real. And unfortunately, it almost feels worse now because there's so little attention, so little help. So much of the help that was coming, both from the government and nonprofit organizations and NGOs, have slowly but surely trickled out. Um, so it's just it's just really sad. And, and, and thinking about the hurricane season coming back, whatever you believe about climate change, there's more and more storms. They're stronger and stronger. And there's another one coming. There's another season coming. So I'm, I'm actually moving with my family to Puerto Rico this summer. 
God has opened so many doors to help to, and, and through the nonprofit, people have been so generous. Now, let me say the other side is when I do communicate what's happening through your platform or through other platforms, people have responded with generosity, with how can we help? And I'm talking, forget about politics, from the most conservative people to the most liberal people. One of the good things about leading a nonprofit organization is that my range is much wider than when I was at a yeah. church. Um, so I'm having Hillsong coming. I have a Jesus culture from Bethel guys coming. I have disciples of Christ coming. I have liberal churches coming. I mean, I have a little bit of everything, different people coming in different times of the year to help us with um, relief work. Yeah. So, Well, and it's interesting. Yeah. It's you, you are living out that wisdom of proximity because again, mm-hmm. It comes back to privilege. You know, there are places in, in the United States, the contiguous United States, where, yeah. yes, a, a hurricane is an awful thing, but the infrastructure. Mm. And I mean, if this was Florida that we were talking about. Sure. You ha- we have to believe it would be a totally different discussion. And that is completely unjust that it would be. It is, yeah. But there's yeah. also a, another proximity story for you, which is a recent yeah. adoption. And yes. that's we started talking right as you left <laughs> to, mm, to right. go and pick up your daughter. Todd, how has that been? That's amazing. Oh, man. She is incredible. Her name is Satota, which means gift in Amharic. And we, as a family, we've, we've, we've been in the journey for a long time, about two years that we've been that, you know, the orphanage, she was left in the orphanage when she was three weeks old. We, we did our absolute best trying to find family because we really believe in empowering locals. Like if there's somebody that's going to take you to the, if there's an uncle, there's an aunt, we were willing to pay the price to help her get established in her family, in her culture, in her country we really are very supportive of that sometimes there's an assumption that you know we're trying to be like white saviors taking somebody you know a black baby from africa and no 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 we were we were there to help we're actually our nonprofit actually supports the orphanage where Chitota is because we know there's other children that don't have the opportunity that she has uh but she's she's been home now for nine weeks she is i mean i think her iq is ridiculously high because she's learning english she's learning spanish she's teaching me amharic um we like to say it's ethiopia didn't lose um, a daughter um our family gained ethiopia so we're eating the ethiopian food we're learning her language together we're and she's just adjusting and loving just the family so much it's kind of wild because we read all the books about how hard it's going to be and all the issues that are coming. And we have friends who have adopted and, you know, they've, there's some really terrible, painful stories. And we have no doubt that there might be a season in her life sometime because of what happened that she'll, she'll have legitimately deep processes that she needs to go through. And we want to help her go through those. But right now, bro, it's just, she's doing so well. We're having so much fun. She's very funny, very clever. And our family is just all the better for having her around. So it, what I'm noticing is it's been a very, it's been an active season from the release mm-hmm. of Drop the Stones to the work that you've sure. done in, in your home territory and, and the mm-hmm. adoption. Is there anything that you feel like God is teaching you through some yeah. of these, the, the various things that are happening right now? Yeah, I, I, well, a number of things. I did nine years of pastoring in Raleigh, North Carolina. There's no doubt about it that God called us here and we're leaving Raleigh, North Carolina, feeling fulfilled, feeling like we did 
our assignment, quote unquote, whatever you want to call that. We felt like God called us here. We did what we had to do. But most of what we did here, and I think that has to do with how good of a father he is, is learning what we were not. (laughs) It's like checking the box of, I thought I wanted this, but actually I wanted it for the wrong reasons. I thought I wanted to be this person, but actually I don't want to be that person. I thought I wanted, you know, X, Y, or Z. And and a lot of what we feel he did while we were here was that, just to expose to us, give us self-awareness. Or actually, I thought I wanted to do this, but I'm not good at that at all. And I have these 10 other friends that are much better than me. I need to be okay with them getting the credit of doing this much better than I do. So a lot of dying. I love that, you know, that statement from Jesus, a seed must fall to the ground and die. Now, what we don't think about is that seed is tiny. You barely can see it. And then that tiny thing goes into the ground to a lonely, dark place where it's definitely unseen. And, it, and then it has to work so hard to come through to then work so hard to grow to then eventually produce some yeah. fruit. Like we, we can use that statement. We can say, yes, Jesus said that. And I want to be a seed and whatever it takes, I'm willing to die. But man is a long, hard process, a lonely process. Um, you, you know, in a way you have to work through it. So I, I, I mostly learn what I'm not, what I'm not good at what I actually don't like doing, what I haven't been called to do, and just finding those sweet spots. And I've realized that as a pastor, preacher, evangelist, whatever title, I couldn't care. Now now I couldn't care less about the titles. I, I care more about the people that those titles would benefit, would serve. And in a way, sometimes people are like, you're amazing. You're going to Puerto Rico. You're adopting. I'm like, I'm living the life right now. The stuff that I used to preach people to go do it, now that I'm actually listening to my own sermons and actually living them, it's so much better. I get now why James wrote, faith without works is dead. It's because when your faith is working, you feel so alive. Mm. Like There's so much reward and joy, and I'm not making as much money, but I'm sleeping better, and I'm, <laughs> and maybe I'm not, not, not as many people are reading my book, but man, I'm enjoying what I'm writing. And maybe, you know, I've lost, I've definitely lost some of the things I thought I wanted. Now I'm getting to walk into the things I know God had for me, which are much better. Man, this has been so fruitful. Thank you so much for taking time and talking and our prayers with Puerto Rico. I mean, that's the start, but the rest is the action, the faith with works that needs to come. So blessings as you continue to work there, my friend. Thank you. I'm moving, I'm moving there because I want people to come. Yes. And, and here's the thing about Puerto Rico, and I'm, now I'm talking as a Puerto Rican. I don't want you just to come to feel sad and then, like, help us with some roofing. Come be happy. Do help us with some roofing. But then we'll go surfing together. We'll eat rice and beans because we need the economy moving, right. right? So whoever wants to come to Puerto Rico, whether you want to come with Happy Sunship and serve the people, I'm telling you, we'll do some surfing <laughs> as we're doing some serving. We'll, we'll do some eating as we're feeding others. Um, it's a place of joy. I haven't... I, and again, I'm not saying this just because I'm a Puerto Rican. I haven't taken one person in the last six months that hasn't come back. Like, I'm so glad I went. Puerto Rico is so beautiful. I love the people. I had such a good time. 
And so everybody's welcome. Come join us in Puerto hey, Rico. Carlos is opening an Airbnb for everybody I'm who t- listens to the podcast. <laughs> I can, I'm going next in two weeks. I'm going to Puerto Rico with a wealthy guy who's an investor. And I'm telling him, I'm like, come to Puerto Rico. Properties are really cheap. Let's open some B- Airbnbs. I'm doing That's it, awesome. Anything. That's ministry right there. That's awesome. <laughs> come enjoy the island. Yes. That's full-time ministry. That's awesome, man. Hey, thank yeah. you so much for being a part of this. My pleasure, brother. It's good to be here. Man, hard not to love that guy. Uh, as you heard, I, I think he's serious uh, from our conversation. If you want to go to Puerto Rico, uh, he would love to have you come down and do some of the work that helps rebuild. Guys, just even right now, remember, uh, they're still without power dependable power. There's still a lot of people living in um, subhuman conditions in Puerto Rico. So if you are at all compelled by this conversation, um, you check out happysonship.com. They have a lot of different ways that you can help. And obviously you can hear from Carlos's voice. He would love to be able to connect with you on that. Hey, thanks for listening today. I hope this has been a helpful uh, conversation for you. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've grown from it. Uh, I want to thank my buddy Austin Martin for providing the music. I'm putting a link to his Bandcamp site. Uh, And also just you for listening to this. And uh, if you enjoyed it, share it with some people you know would also enjoy it. Also, if you did enjoy it, if you hated it, um, email me if you want. Uh, but don't do what I'm about to ask you to do. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you do me a favor? Uh, go to iTunes uh, or wherever you do your podcasts and rate this podcast. Specifically, if you listen on iTunes, uh, rate this podcast and uh, just tell people uh, that you enjoyed it. Uh, give us some stars. That would be awesome. You can also get in touch with me if you'd like. My website is www.casey.com. Tigret, T-Y-G-R-E-T-T dot com. You can find out more things about uh, the, the upcoming episodes of the podcast. You can find out about speaking stuff that I'm doing. If you subscribe, you get a free ebook, and then you get uh, my blog on a weekly basis, as well as other little tidbits, notes, and goodies about future books and things. So if you're at all interested in that, caseytigret.com, subscribe. And there's also a spot there where you can email me if you'd like. I would love to hear from you. Uh, Also, Facebook, Twitter, all the social medias. uh, I'd be happy to talk with you. So thanks for listening again. Peace, friends.